Okay, good morning, everybody. You can go ahead, take a seat. We are glad that you're here with us. Um, I believe we have most of the kids that are outside right now with, with Pastor Becky for some, some time of their own. So, um, so I'm Pastor Chris. It's great to be with you today. And um, we're in, I'm glad that you're here for another week of our series, The Underdog. That's what we've been unpacking these last few weeks. And what we're doing basically for seven weeks straight, we're going through the book of Philippians. And we're looking at Philippians through the lens about how God is a God of underdogs. Isn't that amazing news, right? God is a God of the underdog. And that, that you and I know what it's like to, to be an underdog. That's a place that we often connect in our lives. And so today, today we're going to um, talk about a little something a little bit different that goes along with uh, this place in Philippians and Philippians 2. We're going to talk about this thing called greatness greatness. And I don't know what comes to mind when you think of, of greatness, but sometimes in sports, it's this idea of the goat, right? Did anybody hear that term before? The goat, what, is it, what does it represent? Greatest of all time, greatest of all time. And, and lately, uh, these are just some, some uh, men in the game, but actually in the Olympics, these last few weeks, we've had people like Simone Biles and Katie Ledecky um, and then recently, yesterday, we had Allison Felix, who claimed 11 medals, 11 gold medals for the U.S. A, a record in that, which is just an amazing thing. And we would consider all athletes, all, all of these athletes, goats in a way, because they show their greatness, their prowess through their abilities, through their achievements, through what they're able to do athletically and physically in their sport. They're the greatest of all time. But when we transfer this over to you and I, our, our lives, and I don't know about you, but you know, I'm not making the Olympics anytime soon, even though I might pray for it, um, maybe once I see the Lord in, in heaven. But, um, but in life, ask the question, we ask the question, what makes someone great? Think about that for a minute. What makes someone great? Well, I have good news for you. You can be great to me if you um, do something like this. Becca's going to throw this picture up there. Provide me with a pumpkin spice coffee from Starbucks. You will be great in my book in just a couple weeks, I believe, when pumpkin spice comes out. We all have a definition, right? But think about that. What makes someone great? Reality is we usually think of being great as being known, as being known or accomplished. And there was a survey that was done uh, among 18 to 25-year-olds um, recently that 81%, 81% of 80, 18 to 25-year-olds said that getting rich is their generation's most important or second most important life goal. That being great is tied to the amount of money that you had. And 51% of that group said the same thing about being famous. Being rich and famous as the goal of life, right? And, but, but while you and I, we might differ in that kind of ranking of things, we all really do want to be known in some way. And this starts from being really young, right? That we seek our parents or our guardians or our grandparents' affirmation. We, every little kid wants to be pat on the back when, you, when they show their artwork or they do something in a sport or in school. Everyone longs to be known for something, and especially to be known by somebody. But at what point, at what point do you say, I am known enough or I am great enough? Some of us, some of us spend our whole lives chasing and craving being wanted or appreciated or having some kind of stature in our jobs or our families. 
But you know what one of the worst feelings there is? Well, Thomas Merton says it the best, I think. He says, one of the worst feelings there is is climbing to the top of the ladder only to find you're at the wrong wall. What if the way to greatness is to move, to move up in life, the way to greatness and moving up in life is actually to move down, to move down. And this is an idea that's affirmed in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, where that's where we're going to go today, where Paul is about to change our perception of what it means to be great. And you can go ahead and follow along in your sermon notes. There's some notes in there if you receive that coming in. Also, it's available online under our resources tab on the Table Life Church website. And, and so just a little bit of a brief recap to set the stage. Um, we have this letter that's being written by the Apostle Paul. It's written in about 61 AD. And and the Apostle Paul is going through a tough time because why? He's under house arrest. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel, for sharing the good news of Jesus. But not only that, but that we have this church in the city of Philippi, these people, these gatherers, people were gathering around the followings and teachings of Jesus, and they're being persecuted. They're being put down. There's this emperor named Nero, not Robert De Niro, Nero. And everybody's told you got to worship this dude. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. Like, you know, we're followers of Jesus. And so there was this clash. They're experiencing this really bad, hard time. It's worse than just your bad day, right? And so the Apostle Paul reminds the Philippian church, reminds the Philippian followers of Christ that God is at work in them, though. God will finish what he began, even in, as we talked about last week, as we talked about struggles. Even in the midst of struggles, God is at work. God might not cause the struggle, but he can work through the struggle. And if you read carefully through all four chapters of the book of Philippians, you basically see 16 references to the mind, to this idea of thinking differently. And so in chapter 2, Paul shows us to think differently. He shares the truth about greatness. And actually, it might mean putting your ladder up on a different wall than it is now. So so we're going to look at this today. So true greatness, true greatness. How is this defined? Well, the first thing we see is that it's defined by looking beyond ourselves, looking beyond ourselves. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 in Philippians chapter 2. So Paul says this, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. So, so we're going to unpack this. So, so first off, we have to recognize that he's speaking to a plural you. He's not saying like you individually. He's saying you all, you know, you guys, yins, wherever you're from. He's saying this is, he's speaking to this group of people. And he's saying, hey, look beyond your difficulty, right? Isn't it so easy to get trapped inside your own world? Isn't it so easy to get trapped inside? Like the only thing you can think of or see is the thing that you're encountering and going through. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought yourself into exhaustion? All the type A's just kind of laughed here in the room. But, But you've done that, right? It can be very isolating when you get stuck in that thing. But Christ, Christ brings encouragement. He brings comfort. He brings compassion. And the second part of this, in verse 2, he says the important thing here is 
you need to share in love with other people. You need to share in as the body of Christ. There was a um, little meme that was going around Twitter recently. We're going to put this up here for you to see. Maybe you've been familiar with it. Um, that says, let's see. Go ahead, Becca. I'm going to throw that up there. No worries. Every Olympic event should include one average person competing for reference. Wouldn't that be an amazing Olympic Games, right? You have like Allison Felix, she's ready to like take off on like one of her dashes. And then you have like Mary Sue, right? And Mary Sue's getting ready. And Mary Sue runs, jogs, and then all the sudden has to walk, right? For the next meters. And Allison's kind of like standing at the finish line. Or, or you have maybe like judo or, or wrestling. And then you have like the average Joe, he comes up there and he's getting ready to like wrestle this guy and he like runs away because this guy's going to take him out. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, isn't it true though in the church, sometimes we get caught in this thing of competition. Competition, I'm saying plurally between churches, that we can look at the church down the street or the place that we came from or, or whatever and say, oh my gosh, we need to get more people. Like, oh, they must be doing something that we have, to, we have to do better or we need to improve it. And we do the same thing among ourselves to say, you know, I want to be the star athlete. But Paul's saying here, what if you viewed others as your teammates instead of the competition? Beyond your mindset. It's interesting, the, the Greek word here for like-minded is phroneo, phroneo, and it means to set your affection on. It means to think, or it means to be single-minded. It means all together that we're pursuing the same goal. And, and for a minute here, can I, can I share with you a little bit of a pastor's secret? Right, I'm going to let you in on something. I, I can't tell you how encouraged I am when I see someone who is going through a hardship who is, ministered to, uh, who is ministered to by someone in the church. I can't tell you how encouraged I am when I see somebody that's going through a really rough time and I see someone in our church reach out and make a difference in that person's life. Did you know that when you do that, you're actually the talk of our staff meeting on Tuesday mornings? We share those things. It's amazing. We love to like, like I mean, don't get me wrong, like Pastor Jeff and, and, and Becca and Becky, like, we talk about these things and we're like, did you know so-and-so they did this? And oh my gosh, they're going through really well. And then this person reached out here and nobody even knows half of that stuff. Like, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing to see busy people scrub toilets. It's amazing to see people get up early to serve. It's, uh, we had a breakfast ministry today. People, they're up there at like, I guess, like seven in the morning. Isn't that right? And, and, and so we have people that are staying late to serve and do things. People that are, that are also with their neighbors, maybe not as a direct part of, of the ministries of this church, like on a Sunday morning, but people that have talked to their neighbors and maybe stayed up late to listen and hear their stories. It's also about generosity, too. And this way, I'm, I'm talking about financial generosity. Did, did you know that when you're generous with your money, and, and I'm not specifically saying about, okay, you have to give to the church, but when you are generous with your money, did you know that it protects you from being only about you? That, that's God's way of saying, okay, well, money can become this thing that your life becomes about, as we saw from the research, right? It's, it's, that's one of the pursuits of life. When you give it away, when you give it away, it actually protects you from being all about you in your life. You know, and it's amazing to see the sacrifice that the people often give as they, as they give their tithes and offerings. 
to support ministry, to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to trust the church to, to say, okay, we're going to further God's kingdom in this community, and I'm going to give a portion of that away, which is basically God's anyway, right? If you kind of get that in your head, is, is I'm going to give a portion back to God that is really God's. And, and actually, in the process, God is going to protect me from my life being all about me. He's going to do something inside of me. It's, it's amazing when you can begin to think that way. There's a favorite pastor of mine who's also an author. His name is Will Willimon. And um, in one of his books, he shares a story about how he was doing some pastoral visits and there was this one woman who was in the hospital. And she had this pretty severe condition and she had been a part of their church for a long, long time. And she said that she had had an encounter with Jesus in that hospital room and she wanted to talk to Pastor Will about that. So he goes to visit her and he says, he quotes her here. She says, I'm lying in this bed, not sure if I'm going to make it out of this alive. I'm frightened and worried. And Jesus, Jesus has the nerve to waltz in here and suggest that I ought to single-handedly fund the church's food ministry. As sick as I am, I thought, others should be looking after me, not my looking after them. And so Will says this, he says, he asks her, and how did Jesus respond, ma'am? And she responded, she said, as far as I can tell, he said, I don't care. What did you think of you were getting into when you were baptized? Interesting, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say, if you want to be great in life, if you want to move up in life, it means moving down. It means moving down. And true greatness, true greatness is also about the attitude that you look beyond yourself with. And we see that as we continue in verses 3 through 6. It means that we're looking to humble ourselves. We don't really like that, being humbled, right? Look to humble ourselves. So Paul continues. He says, Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, had the same attitude as Jesus Christ. We're going to pause there. So verse 3, he says, do nothing. Everybody say, do nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing. You know what nothing means in the Greek? Nothing. It means nothing. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul says, no, I want you to think like this. Do nothing. Value others higher than yourselves. Don't do a thing out of selfishness. In humility, value others better than yourselves. And the Greek word for humility here, we're doing a lot of like little Greek things today, so you can say you learned some Greek in church. Um, the word for, that's, in, that's for humility that's in the Greek, is that's actually in your notes. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce that, but you can in the safety of your own home. And um, it, it means basically modesty. It means modesty or lowliness of mind. In other words, I'm choosing to think the best of other people first. Wow. Wow. Do you do that? Do you think the best? Or do you tend to think the worst first? Do you tend to give someone the benefit of the doubt? To say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to look at what could be the motive of this person for saying this. You know, I'm going to think the best first instead of going to the worst first. Where does true greatness come from? It comes from humility. And you know this, 
from your experience? If you've ever been in a highly conflicted workplace or a family or a church, you know this. Marriages end because of a lack of humility. The top reason for leaving someone's job is a boss who is only about themselves and their margin. And it's often a reason why people exit a church. It's a lack of humility. And an observation of history, when we look back at history, an observation of history tells you that living in a community where everybody is proudly preserving their own welfare, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. But Paul's saying here, humility is transformative. It transforms us from the inside out. And so think about this, husbands, wives, employees, bosses, neighbors, what would happen if you put the other before yourself? If you said, I'm going to put this other person's interest before myself. And, and I don't know what the results of that could be. Maybe you would just get taken advantage of, honestly. Maybe you'd be left with nothing. But I do know is that it does produce unity. And of course, this isn't to say anything goes. We don't excuse humility. We don't use humility as a cover for things that are, that are especially wrong. There are times in marriage to call abuse and neglect and infidelity. There's times as a boss to call out employees to say that they're stealing. There are times to leave a job because of treatment or exploitation. And there's time in church to say that some behaviors are unacceptable. Paul's not giving license to let everything go. But Paul's calling us to offer ourselves and others and serve others first and give the benefit of the doubt to look at others first, to say, I'm going to look at that in a high light instead of in a low light. And I do know this from life experience. If you never humble yourself, something will eventually come along to humble you. And that's not a God thing. That's a life thing. And what Paul does not say here, though, is to have just a positive attitude, to say that you're facing this persecution or this hardship or this struggle and that you just have to think positive. He's not saying that here. He, what he is saying is that we need to have a Christ-like attitude. See, true greatness comes from who we follow. See, he goes on and shares how look, we need to be looking to Christ as our example. It's not just thinking more about ourselves or thinking higher of others, but that we're looking at Christ as our example, as our model. And Paul gives us the example of how this all works. And of course, the example is Jesus himself, because Jesus lived entirely in the love of the Father and modeled this thing called grace. So most scholars, when we look at verses 6 through 11, most scholars believe that verses 6 through 11 were originally part of a early church song something that was sung collectively together. And so basically, in this section, Paul's quoting song lyrics. You ever quote song lyrics? I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz. So I'm going to ask you to share the song and the writer of that song um, with it. These are not church songs, by the way. Where it began, I can't begin to knowing, but then I know it's growing strong. What song? Oh, someone? Neil Diamond, what song? Sweet Caroline. Awesome, you know it. There we go. See, you know we we're going to sing in church. Okay, let's do, let's do one more. Because um, we were just kids when we fell in love, not knowing what it was, I will not give you up this time. Do you like my lyrical saying? 
because we were just kids when we fell in love, not knowing. Ed Sheeran. Ed, oh, perfect, Ed Sheeran. We got it over here from our wonderful guitarists here. Awesome, awesome. So, so basically in this section, so think of it like he's quoting song lyrics. He's sharing something that everybody collectively would have known in this time. So look at Philippians 6 through 11. I'm not going to sing this. I do not have the melody. I will recite it, though, just as I did the others. So Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that of the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." So looking to Christ is our example. That's what this is about. It's, isn't it easy to talk about things like love and kindness in abstract? You know, if, if you're friends with, with folks that maybe are not believers in Jesus, or maybe you yourself, you're, you're kind of there, you know, I'm so glad that you're listening to this and a part of that. But, but isn't it easy for people to have different ideas about what love is, about what kindness is, even about what mercy looks like? They're all on different pages. But we know, we look at this and we say, well, what, is, what does all of this look like? It looks like Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, if God were a human being, he'd be Jesus. He is Jesus. That's, God gets us in that. That talk about things abstractly, like you can have all these varying opinions and thoughts, but he gave us someone concrete. And so if we break it down, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And that word in the Greek, it's translated grasped. It literally means to rob or to plunder or to mug somebody. That's what it means. Equality with God is not something that we should grasp, that we should try to grab for ourselves. Because that's how the serpent tended Adam and Eve all the way back in the story of Genesis. Where, where he tricked them and said, hey, you can be like God. That's not what this is about. No, it's not grasping for anything. We lose our life in Christ to find Christ's life in us. And the text goes on to say, but Jesus made himself nothing. I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus, Jesus has always existed in divine form. He was God from the beginning, always was and ever shall be, but he didn't exploit his divinity for his own glory. He could have done anything, right? He emptied himself. He emptied himself and became a servant. The word for emptied is this Greek word called kenosis. It means to totally empty yourself, to be entirely open. Isn't that an amazing thing? But you know what gets in the way from us modeling our lives after Jesus? It's that little voice that says, I'm not doing that. That's beneath me. I'm too busy for that. What's the power in that role? See, here's something I've found, though. And most in those times when I feel like something is beneath me, that I find it's exactly what God wants me to do. When I feel like myself, that little voice that says, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be setting up chairs. You shouldn't be cleaning toilets. You shouldn't be doing this and moving that. No, that's exactly what I should be doing. 
And, and I'll tell you this, that when you get out of yourself, when you get out of yourself, and even that, the struggle that's facing in, in front of you, when you pray to God, hey, God, show me, show me something, you know, not every, to serve not everyone, but someone, someone. God gives you opportunities if you pray that prayer. You'd be surprised. You're going to see that your friend's moving. You're going to see that there's a trash overflow. You're going to see stuff laying on the street. You're going to have that neighbor or that friend say, hey, can, can I talk for just a minute? You're going to have, have to submit your time and your life to what God wants to do. And to say instead of, oh, I'm too busy, or oh, I shouldn't be doing that, or that kind of thing, it's saying, no, this one's mine. I'm in the game here. Not everyone, but someone. And when you're doing that, you don't have to take a selfie of you serving, you know. You see people that do that. Maybe you've done it yourself. I've done it myself. It's like, you know, I don't have my phone sitting over there, but it's like you take the picture. It's like, yay, I'm serving those unfortunate people down the street. Or, hey, I just cleaned up my neighbor's yard. Or, hey, I just, I've done this before. I shoveled my neighbor's sidewalk when it snowed. And then you, you gift or recognition. It's about meeting someone else's needs, emptying yourself of yourself, serving God for his glory. That's true greatness. And here's the deal, though. It's hard for God to work in and through you if you are full of yourself. The world teaches that the way to be highly exalted is to lift yourself up, to climb the next rung of the ladder, to make the next rank, to go on the next, the highest travel team, to get the bigger home, to retire early, and you will be lifted up. But scripture shows us, Jesus shows us, that true greatness is a different wall to put your ladder upon. Because true greatness comes, comes from not how high you climb, but how humble you become. Jesus could have served from up here, right? But instead we learn that he goes and he stoops like this down here. That's our calling, guys. That's our place. And you might say that, Pastor Chris, that's great for you to say from the platform, it's easy for you to say, but you don't know my workplace. You don't know my family, you don't know my neighbors, they're crazy, right, the people that I work with. What's humility gotta get me? The answer's easy, relationships. Authentic, real relationships with people. Because have you ever met a self-righteous, self-promoting person who has joy, who has deep and loving relationships with the people in his or her family, work, and community? I can't name one. See, anyone who has learned this will tell you when they got out of their elevated position in their heads and they just served, when they recognize that they are not the expert Sometimes we just have to recognize that we are not the expert and learn and trust others and trust Christ. When they begin to rely on other people, that's where God does his best work. True greatness comes from not how high you climb, but how humble you become. That's the way you and I were created. That's the way of Jesus.